Good morning, Warden Full Gospel Assembly. Glad that you are here and can join us once again for another uh, for another time of worship. And uh, as we continue also our series in the Book of Acts. Unfortunately, we've had a major uh, outage, uh, internet outage, in our postal code here at Warden Full Gospel Assembly, and so. We are redoing and re-recording this message from Sunday morning service due to that, that outage that we had. Very, very unfortunate, but hopefully you'll be blessed today by the message. As I said a few moments ago, we are in a series in the book of Acts, which we started back in the month of June. But I want to acknowledge today that this series has been a challenge for me personally on many, many fronts but yet also incredibly enlightening. If you've been with us from the very beginning, you have probably noticed that we have not spent a lot of time on certain aspects of individual or spiritual priorities and practices. We have not talked about any kind of personal discipline uh, these disciples in the book of Acts had as followers of Jesus. We have not talked about them praying a certain way, we have not talked about worshiping at a certain time of day, we have not talked about the daily rhythms that people may have had or may not have had the spiritual habits that they uh, developed or encountered. We have not talked about such things and the reason why is because the book of Acts is much bigger than the personal, spiritual, behavioral practices that people engaged in. The book of Acts is bigger, and we have to understand this, the book of Acts is bigger than our personal preferences. When you read about the people in the book of Acts, the stories surrounding their life and the encounters that they had, we're, we're reading about individuals who had their lives profoundly and fundamentally changed. Their lives, these people's lives, that you read about in the book of Acts, were shaken, they were fragmented, then they were reshaped by the Holy Spirit in order, so, in order that they and their lives could have a radical impact into the community. The change that took place as a result of the Holy Spirit reshaping and reformulating their lives affected the community in which they were living in. They made a difference in the world. And that's what the book of Acts wants us to see. That when the Holy Spirit impacts and influences our lives, there is a profound change that happens in our lives individually, which in turn affects the community in which we live in. And I think there's nothing better that we should strive for than to allow God's Spirit to so infiltrate our lives, in, not only in the community of faith, but when the Holy Spirit works in the community of faith so that we become a new humanity, we, when we leave these premises, when we leave the church, and we move back into our neighborhoods, that this new humanity, influenced by the Holy Spirit, greatly impacts the society in which we live. And so today, we are in the latter half of Acts chapter 11. And if you have your Bible handy, or you have a uh, smartphone, or some kind of 
device, tablet device, I want you to open it up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. And if I could tell you this, that this chapter, Acts chapter 11, is one of the most informative, one of the most beautiful, compelling chapters in the entire book of Acts. It gives us so much information about who we are and are called to be as a church and as individuals. Now before I read these verses, let me quickly give you a brief overview of the most recent events, a timeline that brings us to this chapter. A few chapters back, as you recall, if you've been with us a few chapters back, you remember that Jesus confronted an individual named Saul as he was traveling on the road to Damascus. And in the process of this confrontation, Jesus places a distinct call on Saul's life and literally tells him what the rest of his life will look like. Now, apart from that calling, including preaching the gospel to a group of people that had been rejected by the Jews. So, so what Paul was called to become and what Paul was called to do was he was called to reach out and reach to people that had been rejected by the Jews. These people were called Gentiles. Then the story takes a very unusual turn. It turns away from Saul and moves to Peter. And a few chapters back, Peter, another apostle, is confronted with the same reality through a vision and shortly thereafter, he meets, a, he meets a guy named Cornelius. He goes to his house, and Cornelius happens to be one of these Gentiles. And Cornelius, after talking with Peter, actually wants to join the new Jesus movement. Peter baptizes, and the Bible says his entire household followed the Lord and were baptized. Then, the Jews who were residing in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews who were residing in Jerusalem, are all up in arms wondering what is happening among the Gentiles and why, why Peter and Paul are having success with the Gentiles. And, and so Peter goes to Jerusalem and explains what God seems to be doing and that God is up to something that had not been done before, something that was completely different, previously not accomplished before. God was moving among the Gentiles. God was doing a new work among the Gentiles. God was beginning to reach into the lives of the Gentiles. And so, so Saul, now known as Paul, and Peter, to the Jewish believers, are in the midst of trying, in Jerusalem, to try and wrap their minds around the fact of what God is specifically doing among the Gentiles, a brand new thing. Now, here's something that we need to ponder today as we review what has transpired in the previous chapters prior to chapter 11. Here's what we need to ponder today. Could God be possibly doing a new thing in this world right now? In the midst of a global pandemic, could God be doing something significant? You see, my friends, God was not caught by surprise to what has transpired over the last 18, 19 months. This, this pandemic was not a surprise to God. And, and I believe right now that we need to come to this place of belief. Can we believe that God in this moment, in this 
part of the world's history that God perhaps is wanting to do something new, something fresh in our lives as a result of this pandemic that is affecting the entire world. As we talked about a few moments ago, this episode and this application and explanation that's happening in the first part of this chapter in Jerusalem, the latter half of Acts chapter 11 is simultaneously happen, happening. While Peter and Paul and the Christian Jews in Jerusalem are trying to wrap their minds around the fact that God is maybe doing a new thing, simultaneously, the last half of Acts chapter 11 is happening. As God through Peter is explaining to the people in Jerusalem, the Spirit of the Lord is already moving forward. It is already moving past what they're doing in Jerusalem. And it's moving toward people and reaching people who needed to be reached. Peter is explaining, while at the same time, the Holy Spirit is already reaching others with an invitation of those who needed an explanation of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is asking those early Christians, will you join me in reaching people that you've never imagined that you would ever reach? See, what God is doing is He is preparing the people for, and what God is shaping is He is shaping the people for, God is forming one of the most outstanding things that you can read in the Bible. Acts chapter 11 is a profound chapter in the scriptures. And this now brings us to verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, please read with me as we read verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. It says these words. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. So in this brief history prior to the call of Saul and Peter and Cornelius, the episodes we just talked about, while this is happening, the, this verse, this verse is telling us that God is doing something behind the scenes. While everything that I talked about previously in this message to this point, this verse, verse 19, is describing for us that God behind the scenes is already moving and working. It goes on to say in verse 20, notice these words. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Now basically what the Bible is saying to us in this verse is while, while you're debating and while you're talking about you know, how God is somehow reaching the Gentiles and, and you're in Jerusalem discussing, while you're analyzing maybe the foundations and the biblical basis of Peter baptizing Cornelius, 
verses 19 and verses and verse 19 and verse 20 of Acts chapter 11 is describing for us that God is already moving ahead of them and he's already in Antioch reaching and touching and ministering to Gentiles beyond the Jewish culture. It goes on in verse 21 as we read from Acts chapter 11 verse 21 through verse 26. Look at look at what these words say. So they're in Antioch, and the power of the Lord was with them, and large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. And when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true in the Lord. Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarshish to look for Saul. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, final verse, notice these words. And when they found him, they brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now let's unpack what we just read a few moments ago. Let's unpack these verses. First of all, this is the first time that the gospel comes to a Gentile city. That's the first thing you need to know. This is the first time the gospel comes to a Gentile city. And Antioch was an amazing city. So the gospel coming here is definitely a new thing. Antioch in the Roman Empire was the third largest city. It, it consisted of about 500,000 citizens living within the confines of that city. It's about the size of Hamilton, Ontario. And it was the capital of Syria at that time. And the city of Antioch was ten times bigger than Jerusalem. A massive city center. A massive city center in the context of the history of the world at that time. And with its size... There was great diversity in the city. There was pluralism in the city. There were all kinds of religions that people were participating in. There was an urban cultural feel completely different than the rural agrarian society that was part of the Jewish culture. This city, Antioch, became a significantly, incredibly important city in the expansion and in the development of the church moving forward in history. What I want you to notice is that the pattern that is established first in Antioch and what we observe starting here in these verses in Acts chapter 11, what we observe is that the more urban, the more complex, and the more pluralistic the environment is, the greater the opportunity for Christianity to flourish. In other words, the bigger the city, the more dense the population, the more pluralistic the people are, the more multi-ethnic, the more crime, the more poverty, the more complex the city is, the greater the impact and the greater the fruit of the Spirit of the Gospel reaching people. Now some of you may be listening to me and you may be thinking to yourself, why... Why are you telling us this, Pastor? We're, we're shocked by what you are saying. Maybe you're shocked by what I am saying. A lot of times it's because of our conventional thinking and our mindset tells us that in order for Christianity to really flourish, Christians need to live in an environment where they are completely insulated, a, 
homogeneous unit of like people, of like faith, coming together, keeping ourselves apart, where we all think alike, where we all look alike, where we all do everything alike, where everyone thinks similarly, where we are in this cocoon, this, this environment that is completely isolated from all worldly extensions. Cities like Toronto, like the greater GT area, we think with so much diversity, with so much complexity in our city, with so many different opinions of the millions and millions of people that live in our city, with so many opposing thoughts and political ideas, we think this would make a city like ours, like the city of Toronto, a difficult place to evangelize and a difficult place for the gospel to grow in. Now, our conventional thought would say that it is impossible for us to have an influence in that city because, because of the so many differences that we have here. There are so many options, so many different beliefs, so many alternatives, so much promiscuity. And we think in this kind of environment, there is no way that the gospel of Jesus Christ can take root. But can I remind you of what transpired here in the book of Acts? This passage in Acts chapter 11 actually shows us the opposite of such thinking. This passage shows us what historians, sociologists, anthropologists, and archaeologists all agree on this point. They affirm what this scripture reveals to us, what Acts chapter 11 is trying to tell us. The affirmation is that Christianity thrives in the midst of big, complex, and complicated cities. At this point in this chapter, in the first century, the Roman Empire, you need to note this, the Roman Empire is the most pluralistic, the most urbanized society that the world had ever seen. Hundreds of ethnic groups were living within the Roman Empire. There was a multiplicity of languages that were spoken throughout the region. There were untold number of religions that were practiced among the population. This empire, the Roman Empire, where the church was birthed, was incredibly diverse and incredibly complex. And most of the people who lived in the Roman Empire lived in cities. For example, the city of Rome itself had a population of over one million people. And it was centuries before another city in the world would grow to that size. And like Antioch, there were several large population centers spread throughout the entire empire. Not only was Rome a magnificent city, but Alexandria in Egypt was another example of a huge city. And then there, of course, was Antioch. And if you read history, and if you read and understand what happened to Christianity within the first 300 years, by 313, 300 years after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, and the beginning of the church happened, 300 years later, 56% of the Roman Empire was Christian. 56% of the entire population was Christian. And what is even more interesting is that these followers live in cities. Ironically, it's the people in the rural areas who were under the 
who were, who were the secular, the polytheistic individuals and were considered barbarians. In fact, the word pagan is derived from the meaning of countryside or farmland. The people in the city at this time were considered Christian, while the people who lived in the countryside and lived on the outskirts and lived on farmland, they were considered pagans. Now you may be wondering, as you're listening to me talk about this, you may be wondering to yourself, why does this matter? Why, why pastor, are you taking time to explain this? I'm taking time to explain this because after the Roman Empire collapsed, it wasn't until 1850 that the world began a historical modern shift and things began to evolve and take on the characteristics that resembled the old Roman Empire. And when you fast forward 170 years to the year 2020, the, the decade in which we are living in, the world that you and I live in today resembles closely to the Roman Empire more than ever before in any other time in history. This is important, why it's important to understand what is transpiring in Antioch. It is important for us to grasp this. We have to understand that the last time that the world was incredibly complex, the last time it was incredibly pluralistic, troubled, this troubled, this divided, Christianity flourished. In the midst of all the upheavals that were taking place in the world, at that time, Christianity thrived and flourished in the Roman Empire. And what the Bible is showing us here in Acts chapter 11 is that the more dense, the more pluralistic society is, the more politically charged the environment, the more options people have, the more Christianity flourishes. And the question we should be asking ourselves is this, what can I, what can we, what can the church learn from this? What can we learn, what can we take away so that we can follow the examples of the early Christians? Now let's go back to Acts chapter 11, because I think there are two explanations that we need to consider in order to answer that question. The first one is this. The city reveals God's power to transform people's lives. Actual life change can happen within people who live in the city. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 21 and verse 24. In these two verses, twice it says, a great number turned to the Lord. A great many people were brought to the Lord. Here, here's why this is so fascinating. Because up until this point, as you recall, the message of the gospel was literally preached to religious people. It was literally preached to those who were Jews, people who were familiar with the Old Testament, people who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah, people who understood a little bit about God. Yet there were people who were looking for fulfillment and longing for a religious experience. But now, it was the city. It was people in the city who were showing an interest in Jesus. These city people who are considered to be irreligious and immoral and pluralistic, diverse and difficult to understand people, as the message 
was shared, as Christians migrated into, into Antioch and the message was shared, it was in the city where people were showed, where people showed an interest in the gospel. And as we read just a minute, moment ago, multitudes, massive amounts of people responded. It's fascinating to me that during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus tells a story, a parable about two sons. Most of us know the story. If you've been in the church long, long enough, you know, you know the story about the, the two sons, where the younger son squanders his inheritance in a, for, in a foreign land, partying and loose living, the Bible says. Now, if you were a Jew listening to the story that Jesus talked about, if you were a Jew listening to this story, and you're listening to Jesus tell this story, your conclusion, you would draw this conclusion of where the younger brother went when Jesus describes the fact that he went to a foreign land. Because the foreign land represented the city. In other words, this younger brother went to Antioch, the city. That's the kind of place that a person would go to in order to squander their inheritance. Now, if you remember the story that Jesus told, the older brother remained at home, on the farm. And yet, as the story points out, one of the points that Jesus is making in this story is that both the brother who left and the brother that stayed were equally estranged from the father. One was estranged because of immorality living in the city. The other was estranged due to his religious morality. But both of them were out of relationship with the father. And at the end of the story, it's the younger brother who is more open to receiving grace and the extension of grace from the father. Why do you think that is? Because having lived in the city environment, the younger brother saw the flaws and the failures and the struggles and experienced immense trials, the conflicts of people groups. He saw the failures of politics. He realized that he had a realization that money and prestige were very much fleeting. He saw the failure of religion. All these disappointments that he experienced while living in the city gave him and led him to a greater level of openness to receive grace. You see, my friends, in the city, there's this harsh reality that life isn't working. And the pattern of loose living and promiscuity ultimately brings personal destruction, which in turn, however, leads to a renewed openness, a greater acceptance to grace and the ability to have a fresh start. You see, this younger brother's ache in his soul is something that we all experience. The ache in our soul, the emptiness in living can produce openness to accept God's message of grace, acceptance, and love, and forgiveness. And when that acceptance happens, that's when life change happens. But there's a second explanation. The city reveals to us that the gospel's power, God's power, brings unity among people groups. Not only does the city reveal God's power to transform people's lives, the city also reveals God's power to bring unity among people groups. When Antioch was built, during the time of Alexander the Great, it was built 
in a very strategic location. Since it was built by the Greeks and the Romans, there were many Greek and Roman citizens living in the city. But also because Antioch was close to Africa, there were many African people from that continent living in the city. And since it was also located on a major trout route between east and west, this city connected, was connected because of the trade route to Asia. And so there were many Chinese and Persians and Indians living in this city. As a result, in this time period, there were few cities at this time that were as diverse as Antioch. In fact, in fact, history records that there were 18 distinct ethnic quarters or districts within the city. And each one of these districts or people groups were separated by walls within the city of Antioch. In other words, the various ethnic groups were segregated from each other. The walls were built to protect the various groups of people from each other. So people during the day would do commerce and business in the center of the city, but at the end of the day, the people would retreat back to their distinct group, distinct district, and they would ret retreat back into the walls among their own cultural group, among their own ethnicity, because they did not want, the city leaders did not want conflicts. The conflicts that maybe transpired in the marketplace during the day, they did not want those conflicts to escalate between people groups at nighttime. And so these walls that were built between these districts and these people groups were, were there to serve, serve as a protection for the people from one another. Walls. You engaged in commerce during the day. And then you retreated to a place behind walls to people who were just like you. And then the gospel comes to Antioch. And something remarkable happens among these people, among all these groups of people, in, in, in various ways, among all these distinct districts and people groups, these 18 areas, the gospel comes to Antioch. And notice what we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. We need to underscore that. That term Christian had never existed before. Until that very moment, that term did not exist. Now this is important for us to understand because it means that among all the ethnicities of Antioch, among all the nationalities, all the cultures, a new group of people emerged that was comprised of all ethnic groups, not based on nationalities or what languages people spoke or what neighborhood or district that they lived in. But, the, but now, this new group, now compromised, catch this, compr there, there was this new group a new identity, Christians, an all-inclusive term from all the people who accepted the Lord, from all these people groups, from all the districts, from all these nationalities, a new term, a new humanity was formed. And they were called Christians. You see, before, it was easy to identify the people of Antioch. They all knew if you came from this 
particular district or this particular area of the city, they, they knew who you were. You spoke a certain language, you ate a certain type of food, you worshipped a certain type of God. You could identify the people. But now there's a problem. As the gospel message penetrated the city, which was not contained, the gospel message is not contained by walls, these people who you once could identify had to have a new, a new category. A new category was developed. A new category was named. And it was Christian. In fact, a few chapters further on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, it mentions five leaders in the Antioch church. And these leaders are from three different continents and four different racial groups. You see, friends, what I want you to notice here is that the church was leading the charge to cross cultural barriers. And, and this this new message, this message that was penetrating the lives of people was so confusing to the people of Antioch that they had to come up with a new name to identify this new group of people, this new emerging group, and they called them Christians. This is incredibly radical. Radical. We have to understand this. This is incredibly radical because then and today, people in the world think, that religious affiliation somehow is a function of your culture. For example, if you are Bosnian, people assume that you're Muslim. If you're Italian, people literally assume that you must be Catholic. If you come from Thailand or you're from Sri Lanka, people assume that you are Buddhist. If you're Indian, people simply assume that you must have a Hindu background or religion. That's what just people think in our day and age. But here, in Acts 11, you have an experience of God that is so profound, where the Holy Spirit is bringing people together from various cultures, from various people groups, and these people are brought under, the, under one banner due to their belief in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, there's this new emerging of a new group of people from various cultures, various languages, various people groups, from different districts. They are now friends. They are worshiping together. They are doing life together. They become one body under the banner of Jesus Christ. That is what makes this chapter, friends, so remarkable. From all these different people groups, we become one under the banner of Jesus Christ. And the world is forced to come up with a different name to describe this group, and this new, because this new group didn't fit into any other category. Here's what we need to grasp. The gospel brings people together that otherwise would have no association with each other. You might be from that nation, but you don't belong to that nation. You might be from that place, but you don't belong to that place. You might be from a certain neighborhood, but you don't belong to that neighborhood. You might be even from a certain cultural group, but you don't belong to that culture. As Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, you and I belong to something new. 
We belong to a new humanity, a new group. And this new group needs a new name because the old name for who I was and who I am now am doesn't work anymore. So you need to take note of this. When you belong to the gospel, you will no longer belong anywhere else. Because you have a new name. You have a new identity. You have no longer the old characteristics of part of your life. All the old labels that once were labeled upon you no longer exist. All the old categories no longer fit you anymore. You are a Christian and you don't belong anywhere else. You are a follower of Jesus. Doesn't matter what your skin color is, doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your cultural upbringing is, doesn't matter what language you speak. Under the banner of Jesus, under the banner of Jesus, we are all one. And we need to understand that. You have a new name. You have a new identity. The old has passed away. You are a Christian. Now as I wrap up, I just want to make a distinct statement just for us here at Warden Full Gospel Assembly. I just want to conclude by making a statement about us, our church. I don't believe that we are called to be a multicultural church. I know that I have used that term in the past, and maybe we have used that term in the past because we have over 30 different nationalities and people groups that worship in our church. And I know we have many times referred to us as a multicultural church. But Antioch was a multicultural city and they were segregated. They segregated these various groups of people into different quadrants behind walls. I believe that we are called to be an intercultural church. There's a difference. An intercultural church where all people from all cultures are being shaped by the gospel reality. And as we are being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ under the banner of Jesus, as, uh, under the banner of being followers of Jesus Christ, in this very moment, in this history of our church, in this city, we can make a difference. See, it's not about simply accommodating, it's about integration. It's not just simply about inclusion, it's about embracing one another. Embracing those who are different than us. And when we embrace one another, and we appreciate one another, and we love one another, then we are shaping a new humanity, and that new humanity will be a tremendous witness to the world. But let me go another step further. This is not just about ethnicity. This also has to do with age. And the question is, will we be a church that is also multi-generational, embracing the new and younger generation coming up behind us? See, the only way, the only way intercultural, multi-generational happens in our environment, in this city, is if every single person, every person who declares that they are part of Wardenful Gospel Center is each of us reaffirms our commitment to Jesus Christ and we have a passion to embrace one another 
and therein influence our city. That's, that's my hope for us. That's my belief for us. That's, that's what I'm promoting that we become as a church. And I hope that as you listen to this message and as, as you witness what we're talking about in Acts chapter 11, I hope that you choose to be a part of this new humanity. I hope that you choose to belong to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I hope that you choose to be open to what God may be doing in this juncture in history in our city. I hope that you can embrace the future and that you can support the people with you now and the younger generation that is part of our church and that we give them an ample opportunity, an ample voice to participate in what God is doing as well. I want to thank you for joining us today. As we close in prayer, I want you to take these words to heart and perhaps even reread Acts chapter 11, the profound, powerful, powerful chapter that perhaps will give you new meaning to what it means to be a part of a new humanity where there are no walls between people groups. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would take your words from this incredible chapter to heart. And may we, as people, embrace the call that the Holy Spirit is making to all of us. A call to engage. A call that we would be shaped into a new humanity where we love one another unconditionally. And when people see the love and the embrace of us various cultures together, may we truly then become a witness to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. And let's love our neighbor. Let's love one another. And let's see the testimony of Jesus through us impact our city. Have a great day. God bless you. We'll see you again next week.